Good morning. Glad to be here with you today. Thank you for being here with us on Christmas Eve. We're both excited for what the Lord has for us today, but also excited that we get to celebrate together that Christ has indeed come, that he has been born of a virgin, that we might have life. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 1 today, so turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And you, you might remember, although you'll be forgiven if you don't, because I didn't even remember, but last year I told you of my eight-year-old birthday, my eight-year-old Christmas, and I mentioned that I really wanted a bicycle. And I didn't remember, so you don't remember, that's okay. It's a different part of the same story. And when I was eight, I wanted this bike, right? So I told my parents, I want a bike. My mom said, make a list. I wrote bike. She said, we don't got 150 bucks. It was like 1990, so we don't got 150 bucks. So what else is on your list? And I was like, bike. That's what's on my list. And she said, we still don't have 150 bucks. So I was bitter. And I remember feeling like there's nothing else I want. If only I had a bike, I would be happy. My life would be perfect. Eight-year-old me would ride through the neighborhood and we had some jumps down around the corner of our house that a kid whose dad had a tractor and this kid was like a I don't know, we always thought he was like a professional BMX racer because he was like 15. And so we'd go out there and like slowly go over the jumps because they were high and he'd go like, you know, and like we wanted to be like the cool kid. And if I had a bike, everything would be right. I didn't get a bike for my parents, but my grandmother stepped in and saved the day. And so I got a bike, but I was bitter not getting the bike till I got the bike. So I had a perspective, from my perspective, that was, the bike's important, I need the bike, want the bike. My parents had a perspective that, okay, that's great. We don't have the money for a bike, so you can want the bike, but we're not buying you a bike. The perspective of the situation was different, but the situation was the same. How I saw, and how my parents saw the situation, the perspectives that we each saw it from determined how we felt about the situation. As we think about Mary today, the mother of Jesus, she endured a lot of things that could have given her a bitter perspective. Imagine that Mary, having been told as a virgin that she will have a son. The air is cold and she's feeling the, the chill of the wind on her face. She knows that the only things that she will have with her are loneliness and isolation and shame. Because what has happened to her culturally should not have happened. But on the other side, if Mary's perspective was different, Mary seeing it the way that God sees it, the air's still cold because it's winter. The wind still blows. But instead of blowing harshly against her face, maybe she sees the wind and it's blowing against her back, almost propelling her toward what God has called her to do. In this perspective, Mary walks not alone, 
but she walks with the promise that God has given her. She walks with the knowledge that God has called her to do something great. These two perspectives, one of bitterness and one of belovedness, are often how we can choose to see the parts of our lives from either a bitter perspective or from a God-given perspective of belovedness. So as we think about Mary, keep that in mind that there's the bitter and there's the beloved. Because even the name Mary reflects those two ideas. If you go all the way back into Hebrew times, the Israelites were leaving Egypt. God had called them out of Egypt, and God had called them to the promised land. They were going to walk and walk and walk through the desert for many, many years. And they got thirsty, and they found water. So they go down, and they drink of the water, only to find that the water is bitter. And they call the water Mara, the place is Mara, because it is bitter. Later, a woman in, named Naomi in the Bible experiences the death of her husband and the death of her two sons. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She was bitter. But the Hebrews, as they left Egypt, also certainly knew that the Egyptians had the same name, Mary, in their language. The difference being that Mary, spelled M-R-Y, as we would transliterate it, meant loved. It meant to be loved. And specifically, the Egyptians believed that the sun god, Ra, would love somebody, and they would call that person Mary. So the Israelites here come out of Egypt with the picture of Mary is bitter and Mary is beloved. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So you can imagine Mary's fear. The Bible says that she was deeply troubled. The angel then tells her, don't be afraid. And you can imagine that culturally in their time being different than our time, an unwed pregnant teenager was not okay. The Old Testament law had already given the repercussions for this sin and the repercussions were stoning. So Mary's deserving of death. 
if for whatever reason they would choose to forgive and not stone Mary, there would certainly be public shaming. She would be an outcast. And everywhere she went, she would be known as the woman who claims that she is a virgin. You can imagine as she would try to explain that to somebody, it would sound the same as it does today. I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant. Certainly met with laughter, because that's ridiculous. And yet Mary knows what she knows, she heard what she heard, and she's seen what she's seen, and she knows the truth, and yet people are not likely to believe her. Even her husband says, Joseph, who was betrothed to her. Most of our Bibles will say engaged, and the difference between a biblical time of betrothal was, it was a contracted type of engagement. So they would be engaged, they called it betrothal, for one year, which would prove her fidelity. After a year, she was certainly not pregnant, or she would have shown signs of being pregnant, and at that point, the marriage would be consummated, having already been contractually bound at this time. So the engagement was a permanent engagement, a betrothal. And so here we are in a situation that most would see as bitter, deeply troubled. The angel tells her, do not be afraid. But in this situation, God was writing history that would forever change the world. He was changing Mary's perspective from bitter to beloved. And Mary wouldn't need to walk this road alone. God had sent an angel. God had sent her cousin Elizabeth. God had sent his son. Certainly, she probably felt alone at times, but Mary knew that she was not alone. I've asked Mary Vickery and Jane to come. They're going to, Mary's going to give us a monologue kind of from Mary, the mother of Jesus' perspective, and then they're going to sing a song together. So let's hear them. My name is Mary. It's a name I've heard can have two meanings. It can mean either beloved or bitter. And as I've gotten older, I sometimes wonder which one I am. Sometimes it feels like a bit of both on days. But today is such a wonderful day. My cousin Elizabeth gave birth to her son. He's a beautiful little boy, healthy and happy. And everyone was sure that they'd name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth was adamant they were to name him John. And Zechariah confirmed this by writing it down for all to see, as he still couldn't speak. But then, this was miraculous, as soon as he wrote down that the child's name would be John, he found he could speak again. And the first thing he did was start praising God, saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. And I too feel so blessed that I got to be there to see this happening. I love Elizabeth so dearly, and I'm so honored that I got to be there to see the birth of her son. And yet, I can't stop, help but stop and reflect on my own circumstances. I can't help but look down at myself, at my ever-growing womb. And my thoughts turn always to the child to this life that I am now carrying. I still have not said anything to Joseph. 
wonderful, loving, just Joseph, my husband to be, I sometimes wonder if maybe he already knows if he suspects. And then, of course, I start to worry. Does he assume I've been unfaithful? Does he wish to divorce me? Or worse, does he wish to have me stoned? The law says he has every right to do away with me. I wish I could just tell him, tell him, no, my love, this child I carry is not one of infidelity, but one of tremendous blessing. The angel himself told me so, that I am to carry this child, this prince of peace, this son of God. But then I think, why should he even believe me? Why should anyone believe me? And then the worries start to overwhelm me, overwhelm me to the point where I start to doubt the very God who sent the angel to me. Lord, why me? I am but a young girl. Surely there is someone more experienced, more qualified, more worthy to carry this child. How do I know I can even do this? I don't understand. God, did you make a mistake when you're writing this chapter of my story? This has to be a mistake. Then I am still and let the fear and worry fade slowly around me. What was it that Elizabeth said to me when I first went to stay with her? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is no mistake, is it? And still, what did the angel say to me all those months ago? Mary, you have found favor with God. You will bear a son, the son of the Most High. Nothing is impossible with God. I have found favor with him. He's chosen me because he loves me, because he makes me worthy. He's given this child as a gift of blessing. Jesus, my priceless treasure, a treasure for all the world. My Lord God in heaven, you are holy and just. You are loving and kind, and I honor and glorify you as my king. Lord, you have blessed me in so many ways and continue to work in me and make me a woman after your heart. Lord, I ask that you be with me now with this new blessing you've bestowed upon me. Lord, doubts and fears so easily ensnare and entangle me, but I know you are more powerful than all of my fears. Lord, I ask that you help me to follow your will for my life and to trust in you alone. Lord, make me the wife and mother you've called me to be. Help me to be someone who lives a life as someone who knows you personally and to raise this child, your son, as you have ordained. I give my life, my will, my everything to you, O Lord. In your precious name, amen. Holy Father. 
Thank you, Mary and Jane. Let's, let's keep looking at this story and see Mary's response. Still in Luke chapter one, the angel had said, don't be afraid. Verse 31, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Certainly in hearing this, Mary would have recognized the sovereignty of God over all things. 
the one that they had waited for, the Messiah that was promised, has now come. This is beyond Mary's understanding, beyond her comprehension to the fullness of what is actually transpiring here. So in verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Mary is not doubting the angel. She's looking for clarification. She's trying to understand knowing God and trusting God's sovereignty, his power over all things, including this situation, how is it going to work? What is this going to mean? Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your, your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary's given God's sovereignty over the whole thing, something that's beyond her understanding, that she has to have faith and trust God. She doesn't doubt that God is true. And then God gives her a picture of he can do miracles. That God is a God of miracles, that nothing is beyond him. Nothing is outside of his ability. So Mary's response to all of this is verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary trusts that God is sovereign over all things. She believes that God can do something. The angel tells her it's going to be a miracle, and Mary submits herself to God's plan. And she says, may it be done to me according to your word. The Bible is full of examples of people who have gone from bitter to beloved. The Israelites were bitter in the desert, and they were God's beloved in the promised land. The man Job had everything that somebody could ever want, and God took it away, and he was bitter. And God restored it all and gave him more than he ever had and turned his bitterness into belovedness. Peter walked with Jesus for three years, knew Jesus intimately, and when challenged, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. The Bible says he wept bitterly. And then Jesus came to Peter later and he says, Peter, I forgive you. And Peter's bitterness was now belovedness. You see, the picture from bitter to beloved is easy to see in the scriptures. The biblical writers are writing with a narrative in mind. They want to show us the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the perfect plan that God has to take broken people from bitter to beloved. 
But it's not just Mary. It's not just the Israelites. It's not just Naomi. It's not just the prodigal son. It's not just Peter. It's not just Job. It's not just David. It's you too. So I ask a couple people to share with us their story of beloved and bitterness. My childhood was rough. I suffered at the hand of those that were supposed to protect me. Some of it was my fault and some of it wasn't. In an early age, I was filled with bitterness and anger that led me to seek out a lifestyle and make choices that kept me in sin for most of my adult life. Through the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I was shown forgiveness. He provided me with the glasses that allowed me to see his truth in my life, that I was a child of God and his son, not the world's but his, allowing me to keep my eyes focused on him, taking me from bitterness to beloved. It's incredible to look back and really see how God has been working in my life. A few years ago, he had tested me by having me in this very challenging trial. And in this trial, I was very angry and resentful towards those that had hurt me. And I felt this bitterness began to fester in my heart. With that came conviction. And so I worked with the Holy Spirit, allowed my heart to change, yet I still felt this pain. But I kept reading in God's word and would find joy in scripture like Luke 15 verse 7. I tell you, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous that need no repentance. Heaven is rejoicing over me, a sinner that repented. That was incredible. And so I was in this trial, but I submitted fully to the Lord. I was baptized, and I was carrying my daily cross, laying down this anger and bitterness and lifting up love and peace and joy. And I was becoming stronger. As I would read in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I was becoming stronger in the Lord. And now as I come across different trials, I can easily go to the Lord and I can say, It is well with my soul. Yeah. A bitter period for me was um, Christmas is actually bitter. Uh, Started somewhere between the third and sixth grade. Um, And Christmas, mainly because that's when my dad started his climb up the corporate ladder. And, And along with that came office parties that that more than often not um, ended up being alcohol-fueled decisions that created 
hurtful arguments in the house that lasted days, sometimes weeks. That bitterness um, kind of festered into bitterness towards my friends and, and their families, even for, for them having normal Christmases. It, it, uh, it really festered ugly and, and uh, without having God or, or any sort of church in the family, uh, there was no person to turn to, no faith to help me. And uh, so I just buried it and carried it all through school and first marriage and two daughters and second marriage. Of course, her children, our children. And the whole while leaving bitterness in their lives as well, I'm, I'm sure. And then uh, came Jesus. And uh, being able to accept his gift of mercy and coming to an understanding of the depth of his love and purpose in my life has, has took away the bitterness and filled me with this joy that is indescribable. And that's, that's how I know I'm a beloved child of God. From bitter to beloved. The biblical examples, the life of Mary, Nick, Lydia, Stephen, all share a common thread. See, the road that has gone from bitter to beloved is often marked by pain, by suffering, by trials, and ultimately by a sense of distance from God. The difference between the bitter and the beloved is the perspective. The beloved do not have a perfect life but they've taken the focus off of themselves and their problems and they've turned it to God and what he is doing. Mary was afraid and she turned to God and said, whatever you're doing, I trust. And maybe you feel more bitter than beloved. Maybe you feel like What did I do to deserve this? Why me? What have I done that would cause the bitterness that I have? 
Often the world seems cold and indifferent, and people couldn't care less about your problems. And it's in those situations that we look for answers. And we all want answers to the question, why? Why is it like this? What did I do? The answers don't come in the form of a task list. Here's what you need to do or something that is required of you. But the answer comes not in a what or a why, but in a who. The answer of how do I get out of my bitterness? How do I get out of this bitter living that I feel? Can't be found in a what to do or how to do it or a dummy's guide for getting out of bitterness. The answer to bitterness is Jesus. The only one who can take the bitter and turn them into beloved. Someone who understands what it's like to be bitter and what it's like to be beloved. Someone who understands you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born into a world that's much like ours. It was full of pain. It was full of grief. It was full of suffering. It was full of hateful people. Culturally, it was different, but people were the same 2,000 years ago as they are today. Jesus' life was not a Hallmark movie. Jesus lived... A life like we did. Have you felt overwhelmed by stress or by grief or by anguish? Jesus too. So much so that he sweat drops of blood. Have you been harassed by a boss or someone in charge? The religious leaders tried to trap and trick Jesus every chance they could to try to get him to incriminate himself so they could kill him? Have you been criticized unfairly? Because that's Jesus too. Jesus would not eat and they'd criticize him for not eating. He'd eat and they'd criticize him for eating. He'd walk and they'd criticize him for walking. Whatever he would do, the religious leaders would try to criticize and attack him. It's Christmas. Do you have family drama? Jesus did too. His own brothers did not believe him. Have you been rejected by friends or by neighbors? Jesus' neighborhood was rough growing up. His neighbors took him to the top of a hill and tried to throw him off a cliff. Have you been stabbed in the back by a friend? Same. His name was Judas. 
Have you felt abandoned in your darkest hour? See, the difference is that Jesus takes these bitter moments of life and he turns them into love and forgiveness and he takes the bitter and turns it into an opportunity for love, an opportunity for forgiveness, an opportunity that is no longer despair, but hope. He takes what's bad and turns it into what's good. The Christmas story is the story of Jesus. And the bitterness and the belovedness is where the story comes to life. It's not just words on a page. It's not just the story that you knew growing up. It's not just the illusion in the movies that touches on various aspects of Christmas. The Christmas story is a fork in the road. The Christmas story demands a decision that we go one way or that we go the other. Many of you stand at this crossroads. On one side, isolation and hurt, despair and frustration, anger and bitterness. Jesus says that's the road that most people are on. He says, but I got a better road, a better path, one that's hope, joy, peace, love, forgiveness. You will be beloved by God. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, God proves his own love for us. How he proves it is this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's not just a declaration, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for you that are on the road of bitterness, that feel bitterness, to just make a turn, to turn away from the bitterness, to turn away from the negativity, the hatefulness, the despair hopelessness, and turn to the one who offers hope. Turn to the one who says, if you got problems, I can take them. If you've never taken the road that is that invitation from bitter to beloved. Just like this verse says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I want to give you that opportunity today. The invitation to leave bitterness behind, to leave the pain and suffering of a life without Christ, a life that goes nowhere and ultimately ends in hell. I give you the opportunity to live a life that is joy and that is peace, that is hope. For us to be saved, 
to have salvation, to get off of the road of bitterness, to take the road less traveled, first acknowledges that we've done things wrong, that we have all sinned. Sin is anything that we do that breaks God's law, anything that we do that God says not to do. We acknowledge that we are sinners, that we need someone to save us. Otherwise, we all pay for our own sin. Christ offers to pay for that sin on the cross. He says, I will take all of your sin and pay for all of it. No questions asked. The Bible also says we believe that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. It's a picture that we too will one day raise from the dead. And then we confess to open our mouth and to simply share that I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. It's not a difficult thing to do. A lot of people have prayed a prayer But the evidence that you are no longer on the road of bitterness and you're on the road that leads to life, that leads to eternity, that leads to hope, the road of belovedness, is the change in your heart. As you repent of that old way of living, that old life, and turn to a new life in Christ, your desires will change, your thoughts will change, your way of speech will change. The things you love will change. Your heart will be transformed from a cold, dead stone to a heart of living flesh. Now we're going to close our eyes and I'm going to offer you a prayer to repeat. It's not the words though. It's the heart that says, I want to surrender my life to Christ, that you, as Mary said, would also say, may it be done to me according to your word. So let's bow our heads and you can repeat after me. You can think it. The Lord knows the true heart. Lord, I know that I am a sinner. Forgive my sin Help me no longer to sin and do what you have said that I should not be doing. Lord, I know that because of my sin, I need a Savior. I know that I can't save myself and that only Christ can save me. Pray that you would forgive my sins, that Christ would be the Lord of my life. That I would no longer be bitter but you would call me your beloved. Lord, as a church, we come to you during this Christmas season thanking you for the advent of Christ, his incarnation to earth. Lord, having repented of our sins, we are still in need of salvation. Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We are in daily need of your mercy. And Lord, we know you Give new mercy every day.
that your mercy is from generation to generation. Lord, we are thankful for that. Lord, we thank you that Christmas is the time that we can celebrate, that we are no longer bitter, but we are beloved. Lord, may the cry of our hearts, the meditations of our minds, the works of our hands, the steps of our feet, may they be in service to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.